been listening to Redeemer Church of Denton's sermon audio. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit us online at RedeemerDenton.com. carpet makes it really easy to balance this. You guys, I mean, I'm giving you an inside look into the stage here. Well, good morning. Uh, Before we jump in, I just want to start us off by reading a couple of passages of scripture. I'm going to read Matthew 28 for us. So if you want to look up uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, and I'll read Matthew 28, 16 through 20 for us. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." And then the one that you guys have looked up is 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, which says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Let me pray for us, and we'll jump in. Father, thank you for uh, a little bit of time this morning just to, to take a big picture view of, of your word and what your word has for us, though the calling that you've given us. And I just pray that, that my words this morning would be an encouragement uh, to my church body, who, uh, my, who I and my family love so much, and I'm just so thankful for, for the chance that you're, that you're giving us now to, to reflect on this and to, to think deeply about what this text just said, that is matters of first importance. And I just pray that you would just remove distractions, that, that you would give us just a minute, not, not to see this as just a, a, another Christian-y thing to check off our checklist, but that we would see it for what it truly is, which is a chance to hear from you. And I, I pray that my words would, would reflect uh, what your word uh, tells us very clearly, what it calls us towards. So uh, thank you, Lord, we love you. I pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, good morning. It's a joy to be with you. Uh, my name is Brady. If you walked in late, I'm not the preacher. I'm not Micah. So if you're a guest, sorry you came on you know, the, the, the guest preacher week. Uh, but I've been a member here since 2019 with my, my wife, Sarah. And so we joined in t- 2019, and then you know, we got COVID, and we didn't see all you guys for months and months and months. And so, but I promise we've, you know, we've been around. We were around visiting even for like a year before that. So uh, as Grant said, I work for the BSM at UNT, where we are seeking to help uh, college students know God uh, and be equipped on how to make Him known on the campus. We filter everything that we do through that lens, that they, people would know, students would know God and that they would be able to articulate their faith uh, to their non-Christian friends and fellow classmates. And I've been doing BSM on four different campuses over seven years. I was at Sam Houston, and I was at UT Dallas for, for, some t- for a time, for five years, and then I spent a little bit of time at Collin College overlapping with that, and then uh, I'm just starting my third year uh, up in Denton at UNC, and so 
Uh, I'm really thankful for, for you guys. You might not know this, but Redeemer is a, is a part of what we do in that Redeemer is a, a member church of the Baptist General Convention of Texas, of which I am an employee. And so our work would not be possible. The work that I do on campus wouldn't be part, possible without partnering churches that, that join with us to make that effort um, you know, possible and uh, help with all kinds of things. And so I'm just, I'm really thankful uh, for, for you guys, whether you knew you were part of that or not. There you go, you are. So, so thank you for that. Um, if you have questions about that or you want to talk about what BSM does, I'd love to talk after this. Well, to start us off, um, both with those pas- passages that we just looked at, that's sort of the overarching framework for what, what I want to talk about uh, this morning. Uh, but I've also got two thoughts or things just, again, to, to set the tone for us and get us thinking. So first off, I'd like you to think about your favorite TV show. Okay. Now, some of you feel guilty. Don't worry. This is not that kind of sermon. You know, I'm not about to like rag on you for your TV show. You know, that's that's for, for another time. That would be kind of a mean trick to pull on you right at the very beginning. Um, so, you got that in your mind? Think about your favorite TV show. Now, um, how many of you just by, by show of hands, you would say you you've recommended said show to a, to a friend or to a family member? You've like said, hey, you should watch this. Okay, a pretty good number of you. Uh, okay, now maybe another follow-up on that is who's recommended the show or the thing that you really like um, to somebody that you wouldn't even say, hey, this, this is more of an acquaintance. This isn't even somebody that I know all that well, but I'm still telling them, hey, you should check this out. Anyone done that? Okay, a few people throughout the, throughout the crowd. Okay, um, now how many of you have received like pushback? Like when you, when you share about your show and you're like, no, no, you don't get it. It's so good. Like you need to try it. And you, you, a lot of us are like very well-versed at persuading and trying to get people to think about the things that we love, whether it's a TV show, it could be a restaurant, maybe it's a favorite vacation spot, you know, whatever. The point of me saying this is that we are all eager to share about and to promote the things that we love. That's thought number one, and I'll say it again. We are all eager to share about and promote the things that we love. That's an inclination that we almost all have just naturally. We want other people to experience the same joy and fun or whatever it is that we've experienced. Now, you could take this thought a little bit further and, and deeper, and for the record, I'm taking this next part from Rebecca McLaughlin's really, really good book called Confronting Christianity, and she just wrote a teenage version of the book. So if you're looking for a recommendation to read with your kids or um, you, you want to help students be able to, like I said, to articulate their faith, Rebecca McLaughlin, Confronting Christianity, really good. So sometimes persuasion, when we're trying to persuade something towards something, sometimes it isn't just a matter of preference, Right? I think we would all agree that some things are going to really excite some people, and then other people, they're going to be like, eh, whatever. Like, you know, if your idea of a great vacation is bird watching, um, that's like, that's going to do it for some of you. And for some people like me, you know, you'd be bored to tears. Like, I love a good bird as much as anybody, but I'm not going on a vacation. So bird watch. So sometimes it, it, these things are just preference, but sometimes they're more important than that, right? Sometimes persuasion is actually a matter of life or death. And Whenever it becomes, we're dealing with something that, that is, matters of life or death importance and utmost importance, we all consider persuasion to be an act of love. Let me give you uh, an example. If you're standing on a cliffside and you're overlooking the ocean, which admittedly doesn't happen very much in Texas, but just go with me on this. Um, if you're standing near a cliff and you see someone running and they're trying to catch a frisbee and you're sitting there watching them and you're like, they are about to run off this cliff in efforts to catch this frisbee. The loving thing to do, right, would be to try to persuade this person, hey, don't, don't go that way. That, that's not going to work out for you. you, you you're, you're, you're in peril. We would all agree that the loving thing to do, the caring thing to do would be to try to persuade, maybe warn, that person 
to, to not continue in the path that they're going down. So that's premise and idea number two. Under some circumstances, we would all see persuasion as an act of love. Now, why start us off on such a morbid note? Well, we're going to be talking about sharing the gospel as we are. You guys don't know that. You've seen the pamphlet. Uh, something that has fallen on hard times in the 21st century. And in 2021, it's not exactly the most popular thing in the world to talk about evangelism. And that's for a number of reasons. Um, but, but, there's, but there's a lot of things that I could say and a lot of reasons why. But we need to understand that Christians believe we've always, the Bible has always taught and we've always believed that apart from Christ, there, there can be no salvation. You can see that in John 14, 6 and Acts 4, 12. I could host, I could put, say a number of verses. So while your favorite TV show might be pretty important to you and stopping someone from falling off a cliff is a very good thing to do, what you and I were put on this earth to do is to glorify God, Amen. to know him, to love him, and to make him known to others. That's why we read those passages that we started off with, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, and then Paul talking about these matters of first importance in 1 Corinthians 15. Again, now talking about evangelism, not the most popular. I'm guessing if I did, if we did a poll of even Denton, the Denton area, I'm guessing that the connotations with the word evangelism would not be very positive. And that's for a number of reasons, okay? The outside world sort of conjures up this, that conjures up these images of, say, a TV preacher or someone standing on a box, you know, screaming at you. Uh, there's all kinds of things. It, it could be as simple as, you know, getting your dinner interrupted by a knock at the door. I mean, when people think about evangelism, most people, there's not very positive thoughts. So that's one of the reasons that it's hard to, to talk about this. I think the other reason, and probably one that is way more common in, in this room, is in, in my experience working with university students, who, who, many of whom, you know, they'll walk into our doors and they, they would claim, hey, I'm a Christian. Um, a lot of them, th they feel a high measure of guilt when they think about evangelism because for them, they have guilt that they aren't measuring up. They have this calling that they know, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to be doing this. But when I look at my life, I just, I don't see it very often. And I think a lot of us feel that way. They're, we know we're called to make disciples, but we, we just have this, this feeling that, man, I'm not doing quite enough. So let me, let's, let's talk about that a little bit before I get into the, the main part of, of, of what I want to say. So Look in Your Ministries does a survey called the State of Theology. They do a yearly report. And in 2020, uh, 2020 83% of people who claimed to hold evangelical beliefs, those are their self-professing evangelicals, they are ag agreed somewhat or strongly with the statement, quote, it is important for me to personally encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their savior, okay? 83%, pretty high number. You might be asking, what are the other 17% thinking? Again, another sermon for another time. So 83% agreed. It's very important for them to share Christ and to see non-Christians in their lives trust Jesus as their savior. There's pretty widespread agreement on that. There, there are a lot of other reasons that we could talk about, and I'll mention a few of them kind of throughout the, the message. But the goal today, where I'm coming from, and I think this is important for you to hear from me. I'm not, this is not a get together, you're doing a terrible job kind of message. For one, I don't know, you might be an awesome evangelist, but I'm just telling you in my experience, I just know a lot of Christians who just struggle in this area and I, and I wanna be a word of encouragement. I think that there is a time and place, uh, if you're a parent, you know this, there's a time and place for a, hey, like you, you, gotta, you gotta get it together and, and, and do this. And, and maybe, a, maybe a harsher or a firmer word perhaps of encouragement. This is, I'm trying to come at this from a very encouraging place because I think there's an opportunity for us and the, the cure for this, this guilt that a lot of us experience, the cure is not, I gotta buckle up and just work harder, okay? The cure is the gospel. 
The cure is trusting and trusting in the gospel. It's in reminding ourselves that we're saved through the grace of God, not in how well we, not in how well we perform. Okay, our standing with God is based on Jesus' work on our behalf, not our own efforts, right? A lot of us want to come to Jesus with this, look how good I've done, rather than thank you for what you've done, right? And we need to major on the other side of that, uh, or on, on, this, on, on the side of trusting in his work, not in our own. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, all of his righteousness is credited to our account. And trust me, Jesus was pretty good at sharing the gospel, okay? I think he was better than anybody in here. And I think by his Holy Spirit, I think he's still saving people to this day, and I've seen it. And I hope that you have as well. And hopefully this will be an encouragement in that direction to join that, to join that uh, pursuit. So in light of all this, let's talk about sharing the gospel and let's break it down into three areas. Okay, I'll talk about motivations, mentality, and methods. Uh, Before I jump in, this could be an entire seminary class on evangelism. Okay, I'm gonna leave some things unsaid. There's probably gonna be some stuff that I miss out. But I, I picked these three areas because I think that it's helpful whether you are maybe the best evangelist in this room and you share, the, you share your faith all the time or maybe you've never shared your faith before and you, you want to. I think this, is, this, this framework is helpful to think about no matter where we are on that spectrum. So that's why I uh, stuck with these three ideas. Okay, so first, motivations. What ought to motivate us as we attempt to communicate or to preach the message of the gospel with our non-Christian friends? So our, our first motivation ought to be love, okay? First, love for God and then love for others. Now, thankfully, I can keep this part short because Josh preached a great message on love and what, what, is, what does that look like? Uh, he did an awesome job articulating the kinds of things that characterize love from a biblical perspective. Uh, and also, I, I can just say a couple quick things. L- love may be one of those words that is most misunderstood in our contemporary culture. We've turned that word into a farce in, I think, so many ways. We, we sentimentalize it, we limit it, and maybe more importantly, we prioritize self-love over self-sacrificial love uh, very, very often. Let me read a couple of verses uh, that speak to this. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says, let all that you do be done in love. 1 Timothy 1, 5 says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and good conscience and a sincere faith. So that verse, 1 Timothy 1.5, is in the context of a warning against false teachers. And while there is certainly an emphasis on sound doctrine in this passage uh, and the other ones that follow, Paul specifically says that the whole aim, some, some translations would say the whole goal of our efforts is love. Love for God, like I said, first and foremost, followed by love for people. Jesus put it like this, so if that sounds familiar. He said in Matthew 22, 37 through 39, you shall love the Lord, the God, Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Pastor Mark Dever uh, pastors a church up in DC and he says, and I, th- I thought this quote was great, talking about uh, Matthew 22, He said, what does such love require of us? It seems to require that what we want for ourselves, we want for those we love too. If you desire to love God with perfect affection, you will desire that for your neighbor too. But you are not loving your neighbor as yourself if you are not trying to persuade him towards the greatest and best aspect of your own life. Again, I go back to our favorite TV show or our favorite uh, vacation spot. For, For those of us as Christians, shouldn't those pale in comparison to the love we've received in Christ, but, but how easy is it for us to, to sort of 
compartmentalize and say, oh, well, it's okay to talk about, you know, how great Colorado is, but I better leave the religion stuff behind, okay? If we buy into that, if that's what we believe, what that really is, and we just need to call it for what it is, it's, it's an acquiescence to what culture says, not a believing and trusting in what the Bible says, which if we're Christians, we all say, oh yeah, the Bible, that's my authority. But how many of us in practice is that just hard to live out? Okay, and I know that personally. Let me continue with this um, Dever quote. If you're a Christian, you're pursuing Christ. You're following him and you love him. And you must therefore also desire this highest good for everyone whom you love. It is love itself that requires us to pursue the best for those we love. And that must include sharing the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ with them. So we say at BSM all the time, if you were a student in BSM, you'd hear this from us. The most loving thing that I could do for a lost person is to share the gospel with them. The most loving thing I could do for a believer is to remind them of the gospel. So that's first and foremost, love for God and love for others. Secondly, we should be motivated by true and real compassion for lost people in our lives. We can only have real compassion, that's, I call it real compassion rather than just compassion in the normal way of saying that. We can only have real compassion if it's rooted in the truth of what God's word says and not what our feelings might point us towards. It's really easy to look at the, some of the lives of some of our non-Christian friends and say, yeah, they seem to be doing great. Like that, that non-believer is way nicer than the Christian I know. Anyone have that experience? <laughs> yeah, we've all been there. And, and what that, again, what that is doing, what we're actually saying is, I believe what my feelings are telling me about this and not what the Bible actually tells me about the lost people in my life. So feelings are good. God made us with them, but they can be misleading. So we shouldn't let them inform us. While we should let them inform us, we shouldn't let them drive us. It's like when my, when my wife is riding shotgun, okay? She gives some good direction, but when I'm in the driver's seat, there can really only be one driver, right? So this is, this, guys, this is kind of the illustration that you get in trouble for a little bit. I'm, Kind of kidding. Okay, in this stupid analogy, the world is the driver. My feelings are riding shotgun. So you know, bear with me. I'm not a preacher here, okay? So we need to pray that God would give us the eyes to see the spiritual condition and the eternal destination of those living apart from Christ. And I know no better passage in Scripture than Romans 1, which describes the spiritual condition of the lost. And Paul writes, uh, starting midway through verse 20, uh, again, talking about uh, lost people. He says, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but that they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served create the, the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. That last part was verse 25, and I don't have a time to break all that down, but in verse 25, he, Paul really explains the essence of idolatry. And Paul will continue in the rest of chapter one to, to spell out spe specific details of what that idolatry of the manifestations, like what that can look like. And then in chapter two, at the very beginning, he'll say, and this is Brady paraphrase here, hey, all of you who just read that laundry list of sins and said, oh yeah, those bad, bad, sinful people, he'll basically say, those of you who have passed judgment on them, you're guilty of the exact same things. So we, we all need to be reminded of the gospel, that we were all 
what are, what, I, I talk to a lot of students and, and, and they'll talk about how God saved them and they'll emphasize, yeah, I had this bad way of life. And they'll, so, so they'll talk really, really well, I think, about what they're saved from. But what we're focusing on the second half of this message is what, what are we saved to? What are we saved to do, okay? When you're saved, God doesn't just save you for yourself. He doesn't say, all right, you're, you're, you're good now that, now that you're going to heaven, you're good. No, he has a mission for you and we'll talk about more about that mission as we go forward. So we need to let the truth of God's word, uh, what it it says to transform our hearts and our minds, like Romans 12 says. Now a lot more could be said on this, but I'll move on to mentality. So I'm distinguishing uh, motivation from mentality. It might be a fair question to say, well, what's the difference there? What What are you doing here? So our motivation, right, is the underlying reason the driving force behind our work of evangelism. Our our mentality, on the other hand, is the way we think about and what we believe to be true about evangelism. So it's more more in our mind. Like, what are we thinking about when we think about evangelism? Our mentality is going to be largely shaped by our theology. And I'm not even referring to our, I believe, X, Y, Z doctrines. I'm talking about the theology that we actually live out. What, What our actions and thoughts say about what we truly believe. Let me give you an example by a fake-ish story. Fake-ish means I'm changing the names, by the way. This really happened. So Dave is a Christian who shares his faith with lost people in his life semi-regularly. He's not a world-class evangelist. He's simply faithful to share the gospel. Dave believes the theological premise or idea that God is glorified, God is glorified when the gospel is shared and that the results, the way that the person responds when it's shared, the results are in the hands of God. However, he recently shared the gospel with a friend and his friend rejected the message. And Dave felt like a failure. He felt like, hey, I'm the, I'm the salesman, God is my boss, and I failed God by not closing the sale. And that his friend's rejection was his fault. And that God was mad at him because he screwed it up. And so he was mad at himself. Now remember, Dave theologically affirmed the right thing. He would tell you, God is glorified no matter the response when the gospel is shared. It's not my job to convert the person. Y'all have all heard that before. It's my job just to share and articulate it. He believed that, but in practice, by the way he followed up that with what happened, in practice, he was rejecting what he claimed to believe. So again, how does the word of God inform us on this? Well, again, a lot could be said, but in John 15, 18, Jesus says, quote, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you, Okay. Listen to Pastor Isaac Adams on this. He wrote, Isaac Adams, if you want to Google him, he wrote a really helpful like 30-page, maybe 50-page pamphlet. And the title of it is, What If I'm Discouraged in My Evangelism? Highly, highly recommend that to you. I took a couple things from that here and there. He writes, quote, Instead of making us despair, rejection should make us rejoice. The apostles rejoiced when they got to suffer for Jesus' name in Acts 5.41. But they weren't always so bold. Not too long before they rejoiced in suffering, Jesus' disciples had abandoned him, and too often were like the disciples, were afraid of man and embarrassed of Christ. Now, I love this next quote. He says, the irony of our fear of man is that, if anything, Jesus should be embarrassed to be with us, not the other way around. But Jesus isn't reluctant to be with us. Amen? Instead, he gives grace to disciples who falter in fear. You can read that in John 21. So let me do one quick aside here. I'm going to move on to method here in just a minute, but let me do one quick aside. So it's important to distinguish and say that to some degree, based on Philippians 1, 15 through 18, that our mentality and our motivations to some degree don't matter. So 
You say, well, why did you just spend 20 minutes talking about them? They don't matter. They, well, they do matter. Let me clarify. So let me read Philippians 1, 15 through 18 for you. It says, it is true, this is Paul, Paul writing, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. And this is maybe a key verse here, verse 18. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. Because of this, I rejoice. Now, again, what I'm going here is to say, does that kind of undermine what I've been saying? I don't think so. Let me, let me tell you why. I think Paul here is getting at when the gospel is truly shared, when it's articulated in its fullness, uh, and I'm going to do that here in a minute for you via an illustration. I think what he's saying is when it's shared, it will have an impact on people regardless of, the mo- of their motivations for sharing it. And to be frank, regardless of quote unquote, how good you share it. Um, when you share the gospel, that's good. Even if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, that's, that actually speaks to God's power in evangelism is that you don't have to do it perfectly. And it's, is it good to have good motivations? Yeah, we should hopefully be doing it for the right reasons, not for our own glory and certainly not trying to earn you know, evangelism stamps on our card for God. Uh, but what I'm getting at here is that your mentality has got to have some impact on the regularity and frequency with which you do the activity, okay? If you uh, have really obnoxious runner friends, anyone have obnoxious people, friends that are runners? I'm, I'm clearly not one of them. Runners tell me this principle all the time when they start running, right? They say, you've got you've to break through the wall and then you'll get the runner's high. And so if I tell myself, if I'm going to go run on Saturday and I tell myself all day on Friday, which this is a true story, I hate running, I hate running, I hate running. If I tell that myself a hundred times the day before I go, you know what I'm probably not going to do the next day? Let's go run. Well, such is the case with evangelism. I think if we're consistently and regularly thinking wrongly and negatively about it, when it's simply a duty and a drudgery, it's like, oh, this is this thing that I've got to do. I think if we have that mentality, we're probably not going to do it very often. This isn't just simple. I'm not trying to preach like, hey, just think positively about it and it'll be fine. You'll see in a minute that I'm going to actually try to give you some tangible tools here. But when we start thinking of evangelism as an opportunity, something that we get to do, a good news, right, that has revolutionized our lives, something that has the power to bring healing and fullness into our friends' and family's lives uh, and to, to be a light in a lot of brokenness, and something that has the power to save people from an eternity separated from God in hell, I think that's going to inevitably change the, the way we approach actually doing it, Right? Okay, so next is, is method. Okay, so we've done uh, motivations, mentality, and now we're on method. We need a method to share the gospel. Why? Because it will help instill confidence and competence in our ability to actually do it. So if, after we're rightly motivated and have, we have the right mentality, I think confidence and competence are, are two of the biggest roadblocks for a lot of people. And I, again, I've seen that borne out in, in my life and in my ministry. Some people will say, I'm just, I'm just not any good at it so they don't share. Other people will say, I, I, I think I'd be okay, I just don't know how. I don't know how to share my faith, so they don't share. So a method will help with both of those things. Now, some people, you'll hear this sometimes, and maybe you have this inclination uh, yourself, to say, 
I don't really want to use a method because I want to come across and I want to be organic and I want to be authentic and really come from my heart when I share. And look, I'm very sympathetic to that. I think that that's good. I actually think that a method is not in opposition to that. I think you can still uh, come across and share your you know, genuine story. You can be authentic and, and organic when, when you do this. Um, but let me share a quick principle kind of through a story that, again, I've seen borne out in my experience. So D.L. Moody was uh, an American evangelist in, in the late 1800s, and there's a story uh, that one time after he preached, he preached a message kind of about evangelism, probably a lot better than this one, but that, and he, a lady came up to him afterwards and she said, hey, I, I don't, Mr. Moody, I, I don't really like the way that you taught that. Like, I, I don't really agree with, with some of those ideas. And Moody said, I don't have a source for this. This is just a story, so go with me on this. Uh, Moody said, well, well, okay, I mean, I, I don't like it much either. It's, it's imperfect. It's not, it's not the best possible way. So how do you do it? And the lady said, oh, well, I, I, don't, I don't really share my faith. I don't share the gospel. And Moody said, I like my way better, okay? So the principle here is that a flawed way of sharing the gospel, which anyway, any method that you do is probably gonna be somewhere flawed, right? You might have your own way that you already like. The principle is that a flawed way of sharing the gospel is better than not sharing the gospel at all, okay? So if you're, if you're coming at it from kind of using, um, to be frank, you're kind of using some excuses like, quote, what I don't know how, well, learn how, okay? I'm about to teach you. If this is that important to you, you'll take the time to learn how. You just will, it's, it's natural. So students, you might say, I, I think, again, I find this with students all the time. You say, it's, it's too hard. I just, I just can't do it. It's too difficult. Look, if you can get a C in Algebra 2, okay, you, you can do this. I barely got a C in Algebra 2, and I can do it. Uh, if you can play Minecraft, you can do this, okay? Uh, if you can memorize the entire Dallas Cowboys roster, okay, you can do this. Like, this, this is doable. So learning competence is actually fairly easy. Like, learning how to do it. Competence is is pretty simple. I can teach you how to do it, and so can many other people. The harder one, I think, to overcome is a lack of confidence, okay? If that's you, I, I've totally been there, and I think everyone who shared their faith has done so uh, more often than not in a lot of fear and a lot of trembling. Uh, so I've got a couple things to, to speak of that, a couple quick points uh, for those of us that struggle with, with uh, confidence, and if that's our big problem. Number one is that an increase in competence will help you with confidence, an increase in competence will help you with confidence, which is to say that if you learn how to share effectively, you'll feel more confident to share, okay? Number two, remember the beginning of this talk. You're simply sharing about something that you love. More uh, than that, you're trying to persuade about something that is of utmost importance. The most loving thing that you can do for someone is share, to, is share the gospel with them. If you love someone, it's the most loving thing that you can do for them. Number three, God has called you to this. God has called you to this work. Evangelism is not for the Navy SEALs of Christians. There, there's nothing in the Bible that indicates that, oh, this group, they're the ones who will do it. The pastor will do it. The whatever, whoever will do it. There's nothing in the Bible that will, that will, that will lead you in that direction. That's another excuse here sometimes. Oh, it's, 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 not, it's not my gifting. You know, I'm more, I'm more of a service-oriented person. You know, that, let's leave that to Billy Graham, and I'll just kind of do my own thing. Okay. Show me a verse in the Bible that says that because something isn't in your natural gifting, that, that just means, oh, well, I'm, I'm off the hook. Okay, that's, you, you can't find it because it's not there. And I'm not saying that everyone needs to do evangelism in the, in the exact same way with the exact same frequency. I mean, there, there might, may very well be the case that some people are just maybe a little bit more naturally gifted at it. But what that doesn't mean is that that means that, that we get to just say, 
I'll follow Jesus in, you say, uh, 90% of what he tells me to do. And that other 10%, I'll just kind of leave that over here. I'm going to stick with what I'm good at. Can't find that there. Um, And here's one of the reasons why is that, yeah, your neighbor or your friend or whatever might be an awesome evangelist. That might very well be the case. They might be better than you. That's fine. The thing is that God does not have your friend where he has you. Okay, he has you in a particular context. He's got you in a particular where you live, where you work. That that God has you there to do that work. I think I think a lot of people in this room would say, "Man, in my workplace, uh, I've got a lot of people maybe that you know here in the Bible Belt. I've got a lot of people that claim to be Christians. But how many people do you know in your workplace that are actively living out their faith and actively engaging lost people in their life? I, I don't think the number would be very high, sadly." So God has you where he has you for a reason. And God is working in this. Therefore, in the last point, prayer is an indispensable element of effective evangelism and it's certainly an indispensable element in conquering and overcoming a lack of confidence. Prayer before, prayer during, prayer after, asking friends to pray for you, scheduling prayer. I've got a list of people in my calendar that I, that I try to pray for twice a week. I put it in there twice a week and that way if I screw it up and miss one, I'll pray for them once a week. Uh, What's the principle here? Praying for lost people sometimes is better than not praying for lost people at all, okay? The best feeling in the world is getting the opportunity to delete someone off that list because they place faith in Christ. That's, I mean, you, you can't get better. The only thing that'd be, be better is that if you let someone to faith and then they let someone else to faith, then you've got like a faith grandchild or whatever. That might be the only one that's better. Now, in light of all of this, and qualified it to death. I'm simply gonna teach you a method to share, the, share your faith and share the gospel called the three circles. Okay, it's not the only one. It's not the end all be all. It's just an easy and reproducible method. Um, and, and one quick thing on this. When, when I share this, we're sharing it with, with words. Okay, I'm articulating ideas through words. You're not fully, fully sharing the gospel until you do it verbally, okay? Uh, there's a quote that gets tossed around sometimes that says, uh, Preach the gospel, if necessary, use words, okay? The, and the, the idea behind that uh, is, I think, coming, I think it's coming from a good place, but that is like saying, feed the hungry, if necessary, use food, okay? It doesn't work like that. That's, that's not how the message of the gospel works. Can your good, are your good works important and the, the Christian life that you live in front of people? Of course. Your service to people, your love for people is, an, is crucially important. You should do that. That's great. In fact, that will open the door over and over for you to actually have the opportunity to share your faith if you're living it out in front of people and they see you and they say, what is different about you? Like why when work is falling apart and we're in the middle of busy season and this is just insane, why do you have some stability? Like why aren't you freaking out like everyone else? That is just living a Christian life of trusting God in the midst of adversity. And so that's crucial. I'm not ragging on that. I'm just saying, if you wanna really share the gospel, you gotta do it with words. If you want a verse for that, Romans 10, 14 uh, for more. Your good works uh, aren't enough for someone to repent from their sins and trust in Christ for salvation. They can't repent if they don't hear the message, right? So let me share the three circles. I think I've got some slides up there. We're gonna pull up. Can you, and can you go, to, go uh, one more and then be one more? 
Okay, thanks. So the slides are out of order. I didn't want to make it complicated for the tech people. So I like to st actually start, so just in your mind, imagine that God's design and sin aren't up there yet, okay? I like to start with this idea that the world is broken. I start there with non-Christians because that's something that we almost all universally agree upon, right? I don't have to do very much work to convince people that the world is broken, right? Well, squiggly lines, uh, the way I would articulate it would be to say that the world's broken. We look around and we see sin and we, what the Bible calls sin. We see the effects of brokenness all around us. The little squiggly lines are people's way of trying to get out of that state of brokenness. And so some people pursue a uh, job, some people pursue money, power, sex, you name it. Everyone's got something that they're chasing after thinking that this will get me out of the brokenness and back into God's good design. But the reality is, is that none of them actually work. Okay, so then I'll draw that first circle, the little lines. But that's not how God originally designed it. In Genesis 3 and Genesis 1 and 2, we see that God created the world good. God's original design was, did not include this brokenness. There was no pain, sorrow, death. God walked with his people and he knew them personally. But it was sin. It was mankind's rebellion against God. Sin is any act or disposition that's contrary to God's nature, his will. I'm using a lot of words I'm not telling you to articulate it the same exact way that I'm articulating. You can watch this in two minutes on YouTube and it'll share it a little bit more straightforwardly than I'm doing it right now, just so you know. So sin broke, sin broke the world. God saw that. He saw that our brokenness, uh, we couldn't fix ourselves. So that's where the gospel comes in, that Jesus came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the grave. And that if we would, you can go to the next slide. If we would repent and believe and trust in the gospel, I like to draw a little crown on, this isn't on the illustration, but I like to draw a little crown above the gospel to say that we make Jesus the Lord of our lives. He's the one who calls the shots. I'm no longer in charge of my own life. But if we will confess that we have sinned, if we'll confess and trust in Jesus, we'll repent from our sins and believe in the gospel, believe that his work counts for us, then we can be restored and you can do the next one. They say recover and pursue, you know, however you want to word that, but we're we're basically, the idea would be that we're restored to God's design. I like to emphasize here that simply because, because I think this can give off a wrong message if you don't maybe articulate it well, which is to say that just because we're restored to God's good design, if you just leave it at that, they'll be like, then why am I a Christian who still struggles with sin, right? Like every Christian in this room struggles with sin, like none of us have been fully sanctified. The idea though is, is that we've been restored into a relationship with him. We, sin no longer separates us from God. We're adopted into his family. We're justified. We're being sanctified. Um, yeah, again, you can do a more full demonstration of this. I think the, the, the key and one thing that people leave off a lot, they'll share this really effectively. And, you know, I think that's great because you can like write it on a napkin or like whatever's in front of you if you're, if you're talking with somebody. Um, is that sometimes they'll be like, so you share it and then you're like, so now what? You know, so I think the important thing uh, also is to make sure that you're calling a person towards repentance. So, so to ask like, what, is, what stands out to you on this? Or I like to say like, where are you on this? Uh, some, people, some people will say they're not really sure. So you can, you can explain it a little bit more. Uh, you, can, you, can, you have a chance to articulate that there's not really like a half, halfway of doing this. Like you're not, if you haven't repented and believed, you haven't repented and believed. You can't have kind of repented and believed and trusted. Um, so, so it can be helpful to articulate that a little bit more fully. But really, when they get to the point where they're like, no, I've never, I've never done that. They say, have you ever made this decision? If they say no, it, I, I love to ask, well, what is it that's keeping you from doing that? Like, can you think of something tangibly that it is that's keeping you from making that decision? I think that's really important because a lot of people are kind of, um, well, one, they're not really contemplating it very much at all. So they can't actually articulate 
well, why, like, why don't I want to do this? Like, why don't I want to trust in Christ? For some people, they've maybe thought it out a lot, but I find a lot of people don't really know what it is that's keeping them from, from repenting and believing. So when you can ask them that question, it gives them a space to think about it because they can't overcome an objection that they have. Like if, 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 they ha- if they have a thing that's keeping them and they can't articulate it, I mean, it's going to be very, very hard for them to actually make that next step, right? Because how can you address an issue that you can't identify, right? So I think that's, really, that's a really great question to ask. So um, yeah, I, again, y- y'all, I, I hope that this has, has come across, and I want this to really be an encouragement. I, I don't want this to be a um, wagging, my, wagging my finger at anyone. You know, th- we're all on a journey at this. I- I'm not perfect at it either, and I do it for a living, right? So uh, we're, we're all on a journey on this together. And you know, as we move forward as a church, like it's, it's my prayer. I mean, we've got a college campus literally across the street, and I, and I really want to get an active presence there, uh, both through BSM, and I think Redeemer can be a really key component of that. Um, but God has you where he has you, again, for a reason. If, if, if there's one thing that I could leave you with is that, um, that you would be thinking and praying about who, who is it in my life? Who's, who's one person in my life uh, that I'm seeing on, you know, semi-regular basis that I can be building a relationship with in hopes uh, to share what's most important to you if you're a believer. Lastly, if you're not a Christian, if you look at that and you're like, that makes no sense. I don't even know what that's talking about. Uh, What do you mean by repentance? What do you mean by belief? I I would love to talk with you about that. Um, This message has been given primarily for those who already would claim to be Christians. But if you're not a believer in the room, you know, don't don't wait on this, right? I think it's crucial. Uh, This is the most important decision that you'll ever make. So if you want to talk about it afterwards, I would love to do that. So, all right, let me pray for us and uh, we'll transition. Father, thank you for, uh, again, just for a few minutes to, to examine uh, just a broad variety of passages that speak uh, to, to the importance of evangelism in our lives uh, as believers. Uh, you've given us this calling. You have us where you have us for a reason. I'm thankful that you would use broken tools like us. And really, that just shows how awesome you are, that you would, that you would be able to use us, flawed people as we are. So uh, I'd like for you to take one minute and just think about and pray right now for one lost person in your life. Well, Father, you know every name that was shared. You know every person that we're thinking about and praying for in this room. So it's our prayer that whether it be through us, whether it be through another believer in their lives, that the gospel message would, would break through. Everyone's in such different places. Some people have been maybe thinking about faith and thinking about you for a long time, and they're just right on the cusp of becoming a believer. There are others maybe that uh, seem, seemingly seem so far apart, and, and there are people in our lives, I think if we're honest, all of us think, man, that, that, that person could never. Remind us that we are all that person. <laughs> we all are in equal footing. We are all equally in need of redemption and and, and your grace and your love and your forgiveness. Let us not ever forget to to marvel at that. It should should shock us that of anyone that we are Christians. And Lord, we do pray for those in our lives that don't know you and we ask that you would use us and maybe in an incredible or miraculous way that only you can get the credit for or maybe in those small subtle ways that, that inch people towards faith or wherever the person is, Lord, you're, you're sovereign. Your hands are right in the middle of that. And so we ask that you would work, and we trust that you will. We, we know that you're a good God who, who delights in, in people 
joining the family and being adopted into your family. And so we just thank you for, for this time this morning. Um, thankful for Redeemer Church and the blessing they've been in, in my life. And I just pray now as we move into worship, time of singing through worship, that uh, you would be glorified. Thank you for all that. In Jesus' name, amen.